Welcome to episode 112 of the PharmExec podcast. I'm Elaine Quilici, Editor-in-Chief of PharmExec Magazine, here along with my co-host, Group Social Media Editor, Miranda Schmalfus. PharmExec Magazine is a multimedia publishing brand that brings you the latest insights to master the science of success. On this week's episode, Miranda and I have the pleasure of speaking with Nima Farzan, CEO of Kinate. Nima talks about his experience building biopharma companies and the influences he's had along the way. Let's take a quick break from our sponsor, and we'll be right back with Nima. Hey, podcasters. This is Nico Saracino, Associate Editor of Pharmaceutical Commerce and co-host of the Pharmaceutical Commerce Podcast. Stay tuned after the episode for a clip of our most recent conversation with Nellie Rose of NFP, an insurance broker and consultant that provides solutions to clients that span numerous industries. She addresses the increase in prescription drug spending along with ways to find more affordable options for driving down pharmacy spend. Hello, podcasters. Today, Miranda and I will be interviewing Nima Farzan, CEO of Kinate. Nima, who is one of pharmaceutical executives emerging pharma leaders in 2013, is here to discuss how he's successfully navigated his career path from building a foundation in pharma to growing his expertise in biotech. Thanks for joining us, Nima. Thanks for having me, Elaine. I'm excited to be here. Yes, thanks for joining us. So, Nima, you joined Kinate during the early days of the pandemic. Could you describe a little bit about how you were able to grow the company in the face of something so unprecedented? Yes, Miranda, I actually, I did. I joined Kinate in the very beginning of March. The team was all in San Diego and I was our first San Francisco employee. So I went down for my first week, spent three days there, came back home. And unfortunately that week, my father passed away a couple of days later after the funeral. And then we shut down. So I had spent one week at the company before we had gone into shutdown. And over the coming couple of years, we took the company from 11 people to 80 we are today. We raised a Series C. We did an IPO later that year. And we've taken two programs now into the clinic. And for almost all of that time, we have been virtual. We are back in office today, but that's, that's a relatively recent thing. Um, so it's quite a challenge to, to grow a company from, from the stage it really was, you know, being completely virtual. We tried different things. You know, we, we had some folks in San Francisco. We had some in San Diego. No one wanted to fly. We picked a, a spot in Paso Robles, which is about halfway. And each of the teams drove so that we could get together and spend some time outdoors and, and, and just get to know each other a little bit. But it was definitely, it was definitely a challenge to do that. Even though you left Paxvax just before the U.S. entered lockdown, had you been involved at all in the development of COVID vaccines? COVID hadn't emerged by the time I had left Paxvax, although the focus of the company has been the emerging diseases, Zika, chikungunya, we were very focused on the potential pandemic threats, but COVID wasn't one of them at the time. I was, however, on the founding board of CEPI, which is the Coalition for Epidemic Preparedness Innovations, and, and really has been the nonprofit force behind COVAX and the distribution of COVID vaccines throughout the world. So, you know, there we talked a lot about disease X and how to prepare for disease X. So I was involved in some of the, the groundwork for that. But all that, you know, by the time COVID actually started, I had moved on. 
So how do you feel the oncology space differs from the vaccine space? Do you see any similarities? Well, they're definitely different. When you think about it in the, in the pharmaceutical space, I think of them as some of the two of the most extreme ends. You know, you're going from oncology, which is often open label, small studies. Vaccines are very large studies, entirely controlled one-to-one to placebo. Vaccines are, are really focused around safety. You're giving these to healthy folks. Whereas oncology is much more focused on efficacy. You're giving these very sick folks and, and, you know, higher levels of toxicity can be tolerated. You know, vaccines are, are, are typically lower price trying to, you know, your, the, the business model is based on volume. Oncology is higher price. The business model is based more on the price. Precision in oncology that we're doing is, you know, pre-identifying patients. That's obviously not something you're trying to do in vaccines. You're trying to make it available as broadly as possible. So it's, it's been really interesting because I do think of these as sort of two extremes within drug development, but it is still drug development. They are both, you have similar processes or regulatory pathways. You're dealing with the agency. You're making decision based on value inflection points. How do I de-risk the data at this stage to then make the next level of investment? How do I integrate complex project teams that are thinking about, you know, clinical as well as CMC, as well as non-clinical and commercial and regulatory. So it is still drug development, but they are, I think, two of the extreme ends within drug development. You've worked for both big pharma and biotech. What have you learned from each and how is that experience helping you build the company you're leading today? I've learned a lot in my career from both those experiences. Worked at Big Pharma at Novartis, small biotech, primarily at Paxfax, but also before Novartis, I worked at a genomics company. You know, Big Pharma and, and my time in Novartis was really a foundational experience for me. It's, it's the training ground. It's where you learn how to develop drugs. You learn how to commercialize drugs. You learn how to do things, I think, the right way. You know, it's, it's an apprenticeship that is so critical. The level of expertise at the company, the scale at which it's able to do things is really unsurpassed. And so to me, it was very important to have that kind of foundational expertise to really understand how to develop drugs and how this business works. At the same time, you're not building anything in pharma. And so if you don't go to small biotech, you don't necessarily learn how to build, how to grow to get to that stage, how to be agile, how to be nimble. And if you haven't gone through an experience of taking a company like I did with Paxfax from 25 people pre-IND to 300 people with two commercial products, you don't know the evolution that a company goes through. Big Pharma is not doing that evolution. And that's a different skill set. And that's very critical for how to, to build organizations. And so at Kinaid, I think I'm bringing both of those worlds together. Obviously, understand the components of drug development and commercialization that help guide the strategy and, and the operations of Kine, but also understand how to build an organization uh, from a cultural perspective, from a business process perspective, from a hiring perspective, to evolve a company from 10 people to 80 today to hopefully much larger in the future. You were named one of pharmaceutical executives emerging pharma leaders in 2013 when you were chief operating officer of Paxvax. How has that influenced your career? Yeah, it was, it was a really big honor, actually. I still have the plaque that I got back then, and I was really excited to have been named one of the emerging pharma leaders back then. You know, it's, it's given me confidence in my career. As I've gone from the COO of Paxfax to the CEO of Paxfax, uh, we sold Paxfax. I spent some time after that as an executive in residence at Foresight and then came in as CEO of Kine. And so it was, it was very nice to have that early recognition in my career. I think it helped give me the confidence as I've embarked on, you know, I think a successful career since then. 
So talking a little bit more about the emerging pharma leaders, what advice do you have for rising stars in the biopharma industry today? I think there's two areas that one should focus on. I mean, there's clearly an aspect around functional expertise. This is a complex business that we're in drug development, and it revolves substantial cross-functional capabilities to develop a drug across some of the functions I, I mentioned, regulatory, commercial, clinical, et cetera. And so I think that the first advice I give folks is get experience cross-functionally. Do take some time, spend some effort to, to work in a part of the business that you're not familiar with. Most people will advance their career through a single function, whether it be marketing or clinical development or whatever it may be. And you eventually get to a place where if that's all you know, then you're limited in your career development. And so having exposure and the capability to understand some of these other aspects of drug development is absolutely critical. The second thing, you know, is really more around leadership skills and less about the functional capabilities. And therefore, I think it's probably applies to beyond just biopharma. And, you know, that's, that's going back to the old saying, to know thyself. What are your strengths? What are your weaknesses? And learn to build a team around yourself that complements that. You know, if your strength is the detailed, drive the business, you know, analytical, stay on top of it, then you may want to partner around folks who may be better at, at the emotional component and the motivation and, and, and building the teamwork. If your strength is really on that exciting and enthusing the team, you may want to make sure you have a partner who's, who's really good at the details and can drive the organization. So if you don't understand where your strengths and weaknesses are, it's hard to know how to build a team around you to ultimately help you make you and the rest of the team successful. Thanks so much for being with us today, Nima. It's been really interesting to hear about your journey from vaccines to precision oncology and the lessons you've learned along the way. Thanks for having me. It was my pleasure. And now, a clip from the most recent Pharmaceutical Commerce podcast. Be sure to find the full episode link below. So when you think about financial reprieve, we anticipate an approximate $75 billion in savings by 2030 from the biosimilar market. So a lot of positive, optimistic excitement happening in our industry, and we are looking forward to it. And now it's time for this week's leadership tips from pharma execs. Hi, I'm Nima Farzan, CEO of Kinate, and my leadership tip is maintain a healthy dissatisfaction. Never be entirely happy with where things are, hope that make them better, but do so in a healthy way. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed this week's Farm Exec podcast. We are always pleased to take you behind the headlines, provide expert tips from industry leaders, and give you an inside look at what the Farm Exec staff is working on. Remember, you can always find us on the web at farmexec.com, on Twitter at farmexec, on Instagram at farmexecutive, and on YouTube. The views expressed on this podcast do not reflect the views of farmexec, its parent company, or our advertisers. For editorial questions, please email Editor-in-Chief Elaine Quilici at e-q-u-i-l-i-c-i at mjhlifesciences.com. And for sponsorship opportunities, please email group publisher Todd Baker at tbaker at mjhlifesciences.com.